Hello and welcome. <laughs> oh God, I'm dying. <laughs> to uh, welcome to Scott's Movie Pod until I think of a better name, which I may never do. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a very awesome movie. But first, let me introduce Mr. Patrick Pena, good friend of mine, writer, director, filmmaker. How are you doing today, Patrick? Oh, I'm doing all right. Getting by, getting by. How's it going, yeah. Scott? Hey, you know, we're we're all making our way in this strange new life that we're existing in. Yep. And uh, that's uh, part of why we're here. We're going to try to have some fun talking about movies. As I like to introduce with the show, uh, the whole point of this is talking about movies that we love and the reasons why we love them. We're not here to shit on movies or be like, oh, what terrible piece of shit was this thing I watched? Because frankly, even in the worst movies I've ever seen, there are still moments that I have been able to find that were like really great or redeemable in almost every single thing I've ever seen. So that's what I want to focus on, the positive aspects, things we love. Why did we love them? Uh, with that, today, Patrick, what movie are we going to be talking about? Today we're going to be talking about the 1997 uh, underrated classic, Quentin Tarantino's third feature film, Jackie Brown. Yes, sir. Jackie Brown, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written for the screen by Quentin Tarantino, adapted from the novel by Elmore Leonard, starring Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Forster, Bridget Fonda, Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro, Michael Bowen, Chris Tucker. What a cast. It's very, very tight, very, uh, very good cast. Everybody in this movie I love. I think they're like just fantastic. They're all kind of stand out to me just because, especially for when this came out, damn dude. Yeah, I think especially, you know, you got a really understated performance from De Niro and for Samuel Jackson, it's actually my favorite um, Samuel Jackson performance at the very least my favorite in a Tarantino movie. Uh, I think that as Ordell, he has both kind of a, yeah, yeah, Ordell Roby, he has a, he's sinister in a way that say Jules is not, but at the same time, he's also very vulnerable. Uh, He's kind of a he, he's the way the other characters describe him, right? He's, he's not yeah. as smart as he thinks he is. And he's, he's kind of an older guy, as all the characters are, um, trying to set up that last stage in his life. And it's like right on the edge of fucking up no matter what he does. And uh, you can see that in his performance that he is kind of vulnerable. Maybe he is kind of um, scared. Um, and he, he, he knows that he's maybe kind of stupid. He knows that he's stuck in this web where he has to rely on everybody else and even his best friend Lewis isn't as good as he used to be. Everything's just not, not the way it was 20 years ago. Right. And uh, I think there's a lot of subtlety in, in Samuel Jackson's performance. And I, I, I love him as Ordell in that, in that movie. Ordell's so good. Again, I think they're all really great. I love the performances because yeah, they kind of do play things down. They play things a little bit more real, which Absolutely. especially with like Tarantino, you're coming in going like, what? Like the first two before that, especially, are like wild. They're violent. They're fast paced, and sure. this is slower. This is measured. Absolutely, it's, it's got like building, rising tension all the way through, mm-hmm. and it's well performed. So it's like, wow, what a what a turn, you know? It is. It's definitely his most, still to date, his most mature film. I don't think he's kind of reached this level of maturity until maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, which was twenty two years later right um he you know and this is the last of his 
realistic movies, right? If you look at Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown, they all have a uh, naturalistic lighting style. Um, the first two obviously have like this French influence and things like that, even though they have like a gangster, they're gangster movies, but they kind of have a much slower, uh, more kind of an ennui, right? You're, you're, you're hanging out. There's, a, yeah. there's an atmosphere. And, and this is like the ultimate hangout movie in that regard too, because I mean, when I first saw it, I was a 14 years old, probably, you know, the perfect age to start watching Tarantino movies. And when I saw Jackie Brown, it kind of, it wasn't the same kind of movie, right? And I didn't kind of get the same thrills out of it. And to be honest, for some reason, I was like confused about the actual caper itself. I didn't really quite get it. I was like, is she, is she tricking me too? Like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I guess I didn't pay close enough attention, but then it kind of, you know, I've seen it maybe 20 times now and he describes it as a hangout movie. And at first I'm like, okay, you can describe a movie however you want. Like you asshole doesn't necessarily, yeah. mean that, like, I'm gonna <laughs> but then like, as I watch it, I'm like, that's what it is. Like, it's not plot driven really. It has a great story. Um, the novel by Elmore Leonard it's based on, but at the same time, those are great characters that Elmore Leonard created. Like I've never read any of his books, but everybody says he's such this, this great character writer. They're like Quentin Tarantino, they're like Quentin Tarantino movies as novels. And Tarantino was a huge fan. So I think there's even a, a deeper richness in these characters that Tarantino maybe wouldn't be able to create himself that he can draw from the book for. And um, yeah, just these mature, they're older characters, right? Which is something you don't see that often, uh, especially in this style of film, but maybe just in film in general and popular film at, at all, you don't see characters in their forties and fifties dealing with right. problems that characters in their forties and fifties have. Everybody's in their twenties and thirties in films, right? They're all young, good looking people in the prime of their lives. And these are people right after that um and, I, and it, it's done in such a um yeah a subtle and kind of a gentle way which is kind of almost weird for a movie like this and, and especially for tarantino who would have been maybe 34 about our age at the time yeah. when he made this movie which is uh yeah a very mature movie and i i think it was underappreciated because people didn't expect or even want that from his movies at the time yeah i i think i agree because obviously you know it was kind of more of like a sleeper hit people liked it but it was way later because yeah. it wasn't such a departure mm -hmm. and that is what kind of makes it part of why i love it really is like it's a big turn like i said it's so it's slower paced and it just wasn't what i think i expected especially like going through his filmography i remember right. i you know i've seen all of his movies mostly out of order but when i sat down and like uh, straight through and I realized you go from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown. It's like, whoa, yeah, this is one, one of these things is not like the other, you know, mm -hmm. and in the best possible way. One of the things I loved was taking, especially in 1997, you got Robert De Niro, who's usually, if he's going to be a big character in a movie, he's like the lead. He's one of the yeah. central characters and he's either someone you're really rooting for or a sort of a stand-up kind of guy you know it's mm -hmm. in some way but he's just like a sleazy douche <laughs> like he's kind of a loser like, he's like a piece of shit he, loser. he sucks yeah yeah his character's right. just like trash the whole mm -hmm. time and, and it's great it's just like yeah. it's fun to see him do this character and he has like six he has like six lines you know he's a guy who's known for his big performances and like have and, and you could tell he's having a good time i mean he loves yep and uh there's a good dynamic between him and and, and Jackson, I think Samuel Jackson is actually a, an underappreciated actor. He was an accomplished stage actor well before he was uh, oh, yeah. successful on screen. And yeah, those two guys kind of working together. They do seem like old buddies. Uh, there's another movie, I forget who the 
those characters are reoccurring in the Elmore Leonard novels. And there's another movie that uses those characters where I think most Def plays the Ordell character, but I don't recall who plays Lewis. Mm. Um, but I think it would technically be a prequel to Rum Punch, which is Jackie Brown. Interesting. Might be worth checking out to kind of explore yeah. if there's a Elmore Leonard cinematic universe. I kind of, I kind of want to know now. That would be really fun to see. I'm interested in these, seeing these characters or like what else happened to them or how they got there, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I recently bought the novel uh, since I, I don't read a whole lot of books to be, uh, to be completely truthful. And I love the movie so much. I was like, you know what? What more can I explore with the film? Now I should go back and check out Rum Punch, right? And I've only read the, I, I just read the beginning, kind of started it, and the opening scene is already not in the film Ordell and Lewis meet up and they're going they're essentially a clan rally uh oh, going down the street it, it's very it's very kind of uh topical in that sense that okay. uh, they have a discussion about like oh yeah the cops are here to protect the uh white supremacists and things like that essentially Ordell's going to sell guns to a white supremacist is what's going on and this is kind of it, it gives a lot of insight into the characters and, Damn, and their dynamic yeah. and, and their and their worldview and things like that I'm like hmm yeah, that would have been a pretty bold thing to have in a film uh, in 97 or now or any time. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. That would be, man. I'm thinking about like if somebody decided to just do Rum Punch as is now, mm-hmm. especially right. knowing that, shit, that's, that's wild. What's especially interesting for, too, yeah. the Jackie Burke character was Jackie Burke, not Jackie Brown. And she was actually white too, which is a huge, uh, makes a big difference when you put it that way oh, as yeah. well i think that plays right into the genre obviously that he's he's playing into he's like exploiting exploitation films but noir also and he's taking the two and just smashing them together which oh is sure absolutely really rad i didn't know that that change was made but i think it's better for it frankly yeah and you can kind of put into perspective i mean i hate to to apply too much depth to the film but when you consider having a black protagonist with uh with pam greer yeah i mean her her career kind of plays into the character's path but kind of you know just in general the way black women are portrayed in cinema as a whole right like there aren't a whole lot of black female stars right and there never were and pam greer would have been the one if there was one in the 70s there weren't female action stars until, say, late 70s when you have your, your Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, things like that, sure. uh, Linda Hamilton in the early 80s. But Pam Greer was already out there in the early 70s as a female kind of lead in action or crime movies. And she was like dating Richard Pryor, things like that. Right, I mean, she was, yeah. she was poised to be as big as, as anybody. Um, it just kind of never happened for a reason. She never got out of the exploitation genre. And it just never worked out for her. She never got those serious roles. She was always, you know, she was... She's had a career nonstop. She never stopped working, but she never reached that mainstream success. And this was that last, that last hurrah, right? Right. Um, she's at that age. The character's at. Um, she's kind of been chewed up, spit out a little bit. Um, sorry to say, in a sense. Um, and yeah. it kind of plays into that, right? Like just fed up. Um, my last fucking shot. I'm gonna shoot my wad, as it were, and go for it. And go get and she your does. Go home. Nothing really happened with uh, Pam Greer's career too much after that. I mean, she had she had some decent roles in the '90s around this time anyway, but it's a she never shame, quite. Really. It yeah. is, yeah. No, she's great. She's um, she's so good. Yeah, I would love to see her now, but you know, yeah, maybe. she's right there. She's right there near the end of uh, yeah. I, it'd be cool to have her get one last great role. Seriously, that's what you always hope for. Always, I like she's oh, man. 
underutilized, underutilized, I think. Absolutely. Well, a good way to describe Pam Greer. Hey, and let's pivot that because Tarantino is known for use for restoring careers of underutilized actors. And, you know, he did that here with Pam Greer, but he also very famously did that here with Robert Forrester. Right. Yeah. And the, the Max Cherry character, which if, if you want to talk about a subtle and beautiful performance, um, Robert Forrester here and Jackie Brown, I mean, so, such a sweet man. I mean, you kind of like, you can, I, I, I just finished watching. I started watching it last night. I just finished it maybe about a half hour ago. As I watch it now, you know, I get more and more angry at Max Cherry at the end of the movie for not going with Jackie. And like that, their kiss is one of my favorite kind of sweet moments in film. Of like all, the, yeah. all, all my favorite movies to watch. Like it, it gets more sad every time I see it. Like what a piece of shit. Like why did he just not like, what does he have? Like he was going to fucking quit anyway. He has this perfect opportunity to go to Spain with this beautiful woman. He, yeah, he, he should have. He's a fucking idiot. Uh, what a great performance from from Robert Forrester, another guy who was, uh, you know, who, who the hell knew who he was, right? Just kind of a TV actor, did some roles in movies and, you know, in the 70s and faded to obscurity. And Tarantino's like, hey, man, I remember that guy. Fucking, you know, I like that man. He'd, 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 he'd be good in this one. So they yep. put him out there and uh, got a got a nomination for it, too. You do agree with Tarantino. That was, that was fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Anxiety helps. Yeah. Forrester's performance is great, like understated, very, very solid. Like, and it's, it's a contrast. I feel like for anything you would know him from now, especially if people would see him and be like, Oh, he's, he's more gruff. I feel like when you see him and stuff more sure. often than not, and I feel like he's done like the, the military drill sergeant thing at least once or twice. I could yeah, be cop. wrong. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a... got that vibe, you know? Yeah, he's that, seems straight laced, kind of a exactly. almost a vanilla kind of a monotone. But yeah, he he can get uh yeah he has a veteran kind of feel to him, right? Like an older yeah he, he he's seen some things, been around. Um, that's Robert Forrester, absolutely right. Exactly. Okay, I mean we've kind of like just blown into a bunch of topics all at once, which is perfect and good. I'm like, well, let me look back at my structure here. Well, I mean, we talked about our initial thoughts on it generally. And uh, the, so, you know, initial thoughts, what we thought about it generally uh, after the first watch, what we thought about it after a rewatch kind of thing, uh, what we liked, what worked for us and why, what moments stuck with us the most and why. Do you have any very specific moments from the movie that really stuck with you? You know, there are a few actually, yeah. It, the movie has such great character, such great slow moments, quiet moments. Um, and there's a couple that are kind of my favorites. Are you kind of centered around Odell. So the entire sequence with, with Beaumont Livingston, with Chris Tucker's character oh, is, is one of my favorite in the movies. Again, Chris Tucker, an underutilized actor, uh, very funny, but always plays his character at like 110%, right? Oh, always. Yeah. So to have him, so have him just to kind of, um, talk like a regular person and play it down. So he's, he could be a good actor, right? In Friday, he's more normal as well. But um, here he has this great small role. Um, it's a great scene with Samuel Jackson. And there's a shot near the end. It's a nice subtle crane shot. Essentially, he's sitting in his car, turns on the fucking music, puts the gloves on. It's real mm -hmm. slow, nice and slow. Drives off, camera lifts up, sees him driving to the parking lot, gets out of the car, shoots him, drives off. It's just very quiet, very slow, very methodical. It's such a beautiful kind of, 
um, little sequence there. And there's a couple more with Ordell later. There's another scene. He's driving with Robert Forrester as they're going to see Jackie Brown right near the end. And it's Robert Forrester's car, but Ordell's driving it. And he turns on the radio and it's Delphonics. It's the song that Jackie Brown played for Robert Forrester early, went to the store and he bought the tape. And there's a moment where they connect because Samuel Jackson's surprised to hear Robert Forrester listen to the Delphonics. And he sits for a moment and he's like, I didn't know you liked the Delphonics. Yeah, they're pretty good. And there's that. But then right after that, another great moment with Ordell still in the car. I do enjoy car scenes a lot in movies. And that's not a broad thing to say, but I think there's a lot of very human things that can happen while you're riding in a car that are very relatable. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of great character moments that come from things like that. Right near the end, very vulnerable moment again from Ordell before they get out. He's very scared, but he's trying to, to intimidate Max Cherry and says, is there anything else you want to tell me before we go in there? And he doesn't know what he's expecting. He has no idea. He's like, I just want my fucking money, man. I, I don't want anything to go down. Do I have to kill yeah. Jackie Brown? I don't give a shit, but I, I just don't want anything to happen here. Uh, and that's great too. So there's a lot of these quiet moments, um, slow moments that I really enjoy in the movie, just um, you know, from a style standpoint. And those kind of stick with me that I would yeah. like to... That's a tone I want to elicit in, you know, things that I write. The scene where Beaumont, right? That's Chris Tucker's character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When he get that whole scene is played so well, it, you know, they kind of make it seem perfectly a little bit uncomfortable and awkward, which is the yeah. exact way it's supposed to be. And Absolutely. the more the scene goes on, like as I was rewatching it, oh man, this is really good because it's just bringing this feeling of like unease is creeping in yeah. as it continues to go. Cause you're like, yeah, this is just get, getting a little weird more and more as each moment passes. It's like, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I got you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Get dressed. We got to go somewhere and do something. Okay. Now I got to put you in the trunk. You're like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. On re uh, you know, upon a rewatch, it is very, uh, you know, it's, it's better every time you see it because you oh, know yeah. exactly what he's doing the first time you have no idea what's going to happen when you watch it again you're like fuck dude he that's exactly what he was going to do the entire time that's going to get this guy in my trunk shoot his ass and that's it that's it yeah it's fucked up and uh it's fun again on the rewatch because too is like especially listening to some of the dialogue and uh, he's like that's my that's my job you know it's like you get in trouble and i get your ass out of it it's from a very expensive like venture <laughs> i'm like oh he's way pissed <laughs> right yeah yep but it's that, you know, the charm that Samuel L. Jackson brings to, like, every single role, like, effortlessness of the character yeah. disarms you every time. It's mm -hmm. so good. I love that. I think for me, the heist, because when I first watched it, I, I, too, I wasn't really quite as sure what was happening at the outset. Mm -hmm. But I do love a good heist movie, and I love a good heist when it's done really well in a movie, or they at least make it entertaining you know yeah. so i think i picked it up on the first time watching it toward the end realizing what was like happening finally and then on the rewatch that i just did of it you know before talking about it now it was kind of remarkable to think about the pacing of it because mm -hmm. obviously you i'm kind of curious if you could like put it all side by side and see if it would work out timing wise but it seems like it's really well paced. It all makes sense. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Sometimes in heist movies, there's a, a really unrealistic portrayal of how things play out time-wise. Sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, so 
I really appreciate it. I was like, oh man, this is actually playing out in a pretty reasonable sort of paced timing that would be realistic. And yeah. uh, that was just kind of unique to that. Again, I think it speaks to that sort of like slow moving pace that they had the whole movie. Absolutely. Yeah. That never even crossed my mind. And when you put it that way, I never thought about that. And I think part of the way they achieve that is by not showing it all the way through, right? They, right. they show part of it, stop it, go back, show the rest of it from another perspective to kind yeah. of create the suspense in different areas, right? He, this part was suspenseful for this person. And then this part was suspenseful for these people and these characters into these, to create that one moment um, yeah. instead of dragging out one moment, cutting back and forth, to the single moment pretending that this 30 seconds took five minutes or whatever it is, right. which is uh, the standard. Uh, yeah. You he, got like he didn't 15 have to... shots inside three seconds of time. Yep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The clock's going up all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have to, um, they didn't have to fake it in this, which is interesting. Yeah, it didn't cross my mind, but that's, uh, that is difficult to do. Yeah. So that's, that's something that's really stuck out to me now after watching it. So that, that's a highlight for me. And I'm definitely gonna have to rewatch it again because now I really want to watch on that pacing and see if anything wouldn't work. I almost sure. want to like take all those scenes and just cut them together and see play side by time. side how they play out. Absolutely. That would be really cool. Um, shit, what else? I had something else I wanted to mention. The, the obvious one is it's not necessarily less violent overall you know than any of the other tarantino movies but what's usually different is like there's like no blood almost it is virtually bloodless yeah yeah it's it's fairly tame in that way as far as like the brutality is concerned and watching it um there was like parts where i realized that like um they didn't show the violence that much like actually no. on screen no and I didn't really realize that until like rewatching it this last time it was like, oh shit. A lot of this is literally like, it's off, it's off screen. It's off camera. It gets done when you're not really focused on it. When was Unless the last was... time? No, when was the last time you saw Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction? You know what? I haven't watched those in a while either. Both of those films, you know, there's a lot more implied violence than you might remember. There's blood, but it's blood splatter. There's not squibs. There's not holes necessarily. You know, there are some, but yeah, essentially... You know, the idea of a lot of this violence uh, is worse for the context of it is really what gets it. It's uh, where it gets the notoriety for being violent. This one is slightly less violent. It is slightly less violent than both of those, but those are actually less violent than you might remember as well. That's a good uh, he did, point. He, he went over the top once he hit Kill Bill. He never went backwards. He, he stayed at a, at a certain stylized cartoon level once he had more money. But the first three movies were a lot more... Damn. restrained in violence and in style. I mean, look at Guillermo Navarro's cinematography. It, you know, there really doesn't draw attention to itself. It's very subtle. It's very naturalistic. Um, and this is a guy who also works with uh, the other Guillermo, Del Toro. So he's very capable of doing a huge stylish sure. style, but this movie just feels kind of real. It has a realistic texture to it. Uh, it has a warmth, I think, is something. Look at the, the soul soundtrack that it has, right? It really gives yeah. a certain tone to the movie, um, kind of feels like a 70s movie, almost feels timeless. Um, there's something warm about it um, through all of that, and I think everything together. Um, um, damn, I didn't really consider how much of the violence you actually see on screen for the first two either. Mm -mm. Damn, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that now. Yeah, so you know, they, don't, they don't cut off the ear on screen, you know, clearly that's one. That's true. 
uh, Jules and Vincent don't shoot bread on screen. I mean, I don't believe you see Marvin's head literally explode. I mean, you kind of do, you know, but that's also comedic. So, I mean, there's a lot of... Right. Not that that movie wasn't shocking and revolutionary and, and, and everything, because it was, it <laughs> is, and it's still, you know, that was always my favorite for a long time. And I, I enjoyed Jackie Brown, but then, um, you know, the more I see it, the more I appreciate it. Um, and the more it stands out as not just unique in his filmography, but just kind of among all films in some ways, it has a particular tone. The, the movie it most reminds me of in some ways, and it might sound stupid, is uh, Dazed and Confused. Um, just at the, mm. the, the, the pacing of the scenes, the ease of which you kind of come in and out and, and, and are with these characters. And, and, I, and I say that not like I'm coming up with it on my own because Tarantino is a huge fan of Days and Confused. He does describe them both as hangout movies. So I, it, it wouldn't be out of the question that he's intentionally going for that vibe. And I think I do yeah, think yeah. that's there. Um, just because you're yeah, just hanging really out. That's really interesting. Right? They're different genres, but if you th think about the feel of it, you could have shot Jackie Brown in a different way with a, with a score and it would have been a completely different movie with stylized lighting. It could have felt like a real crime movie. That noir feeling would have been there. You would have had the harsh shadows. This doesn't have that though. It looks like an overcast day in Los Angeles, California in 1997 is what it looks like. Um, it has a very easy feeling to it. And I think it's supposed to. Shit. I just watched Days and Confused not that long ago too. It does, it does feel that way. Shit. Things to consider. Things to consider. Okay. I didn't know that uh, he, uh, he, like, that was ever mentioned there. He talked about that as far as, like, that being an influence or if it was an influence. But um, I don't just... know that, that he specifically cites that as an influence, but he does. Days Confused is one of, he thinks, is one of the greatest movies of all time. And he, Hangout movie is, like, a, a, a Rio Bravo, Days of Confused, Jackie Brown, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He, that's kind of, he puts those movies in the same category. Interestingly enough, my hmm. movie Ignacio was going to have that attempt to have that exact same kind of feeling. That's what I was going for. And I think you achieved that in the writing of it. Well, that, well, we'll never know about that. Well, don't say never. Don't say never. Yeah. Since uh, I, 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 so that's something to look at. So I want to see Rio Bravo. Have you ever seen uh, Rio Bravo? I don't, Bravo? I don't think I have actually. I believe it's Howard Hawks old, uh, it's one on my list of Westerns and I've just been like going back to my Western list uh, for personal writing reasons. Sure. But uh, maybe we ought to do Rio Bravo as a watch and then chat about that one. That could be first, a good one to throw well, in. Our first time. Yeah. So it'd be interesting yeah, to first talk viewer. about it. Yeah. I'd be down with that for sure. I think, I think that should be the name of the game for one of the ones we do. Um, we'll just tack it onto the end there, you know, we'll start with yeah. three and keep going. Well, hey, and you're a bigger you're a bigger Western guy than I am too, so it'd be interesting to. Um, I do love me a good Western. It's one of the genres I haven't fully uh, explored, actually. See, uh, it'll be interesting to talk more Westerns with with people once I get some more people who have uh, like opinions about them. Yeah. Just because uh, the more Westerns I go through, it's going to be a controversial statement. The least I'm finding ones that I agree are good. So that's why I never really, it's not really my bag. Like I hate to be this way, but like the hyper masculine subgenres have never really been my cup of tea, war, gangster, sure. um, Western. 
not that I'm opposed to them. There's a lot of great films, you know, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, I think is an incredible movie and, you know, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I like war movies, usually anti-war movies. Let's not get into that. But um, yeah, there is something there that I, I don't fully agree with those films often, but there are plenty of films within those genres that explore that. Um, right. And those are the ones that I really kind of want to get into. I like, obviously, like things that take a genre and just like run with it in their own direction are oh, things yeah. that I'm always going to be more attracted to. But if you can do something that's within the conventions and make it your own and make it unique, then that's going to be great too. The problem yeah. is there's not enough of it. Obviously, we know the formula problem. It's a huge mm -hmm. problem. And it, mm -hmm. it doesn't just extend to our blockbuster hits. It extends to like pretty much everything yeah. from sci-fi to Western to like everything, you know? So like the more Westerns I watch, there's almost always like uh, your typical elements are always some kind of revenge is involved or a civil war era. So there's some kind of slavery in involved or there's land grabs or, uh, you know, Americans trying to take lands from the Native Americans. So those are like the, the main story tropes. And then just like all the subgenres where it's like, oh, there's a love story. Oh, there's a revenge story. But it's almost always the same. You know, you guys mm -hmm. rides in the town. Oh, you shouldn't be here. Let's fuck him up. And then they yeah, right. fuck him up. And then he's like, well, now I'm going to come kill everybody. And then he comes and kills everybody. And they're like, oh, thank you for taking care of those bad men. Right. I'm not a good man. <laughs> yeah well look at the variety of stories in like the ballad of buster scruggs right yeah even that just shows you as an example like just in five little pieces there there's a lot more you can be you could be telling and be exploring different kinds of characters and different situations you can find them in exactly um, it's a little Take more interest do something weird well um again don't want to get dark with it but the story the the genre kind of lends itself to um you know white supremacy and things like that it's just kind of an archetype of here's the good guy and here are the bad guys. But um, the real West really wasn't, wasn't very black and white like that, was it? So there's a lot of great, complex, dark stories that can be told of the American West and cinema is just rife and ready um, oh, yeah. for those. I've been, uh, they have a, it's either Showtime or Amazon. They got the, the Good Lord Bird with Ethan Hawke. Hmm. That one's a, definitely a bit of like a, a white savior movie for sure. Mm. But it's, it's more of a series though, but it's about like uh, Jim Brown kickstarting things for the civil war, et cetera. Like that's okay. the conceit of the show, but it's like told through the eyes of uh, one of the, the kids that was like with his gang that he saved, but he still may as well have been technically a slave because he just like got taken by John Brown and then was like, okay, you're with us now. And we're, we're, we're leading the train to freedom. And he's like, uh, okay. But he's also disguised as a girl the whole time because John Brown thought he was a girl. Hmm. So it's a pretty weird, it's a pretty weird tale. It's very that strange. Like yeah, I, I'm not familiar with this one. Interesting. Uh, I, I hadn't been, but I was getting some of the facts on uh, the background. That's part of the fun. It says uh, in the opening, all of this is true. Most of it happened. <laughs> so, so is it, like, so right. is it kind of an over the top tone or something? Or yeah, is it going, it's a is little it bit over the top, but it's it's also played realistic at the same time. It's it's hard to, it's both very dramatic and action packed and fun, but there are elements where you're just like, this is just silly as fuck, and it's so hmm. wild. Um, what is it? What's his name? I'll, I'll come back to that later. I'll come back to that. Yes, right. Off topic.
yeah, we just derailed here for a, a, a short, short Western conversation. <laughs> no problem. Absolutely. Back to Jackie Brown. Um, we just talked about like moments that stuck with us and why they stuck with us. Yeah. Uh, we've already kind of mentioned some personal highlights and um, personal highlights, just a couple things for me I want to touch on were the fact that the 70s vibe is it's really solid like the whole time there's really nothing that feels out of place or comes in it's like what that doesn't belong here and also what sticks out is that unless i missed it i'm pretty sure quentin tarantino doesn't show up in the movie he's not in the movie but he is the voice of like her answering machine message system okay. you have one message that's, that's okay. quentin tarantino all right so he's he's in there but he's not uh-huh. in there. Right. not obtrusively right. so no Okay. So yeah, I didn't see him anywhere. And maybe that was part of the reason. Like it just, it felt consistent. It was like not seeing him. It's like, oh, he's not there. So yeah, yeah it's a pleasant surprise. Right. It's like, interesting. Uh, it's funny that he's the voice message. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Yep. All right. The more you know, I didn't know that. Any other moments for you that kind of stood out or like set pieces, wardrobe, anything? Uh, yeah, man, a little bit of everything. I think, again, I hate to keep it going back to Ordell, but the entire Ordell character is the red hair, the long hair, the yep. long beard, everything he wears um, is very interesting down to the fanny pack. There's a great scene when he kills, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know the fuck you're listening for it. He kills <laughs> Lewis in the car. They're, they're in, the, um, in the old Vita microbus. Yeah. Another quiet scene, slow pull in. He's sitting there and just like, Realizing, all right, he killed Melanie, my little beat-up old surfer girl, and uh, now i got to kill Lewis. And, I, and I will, I'm, I'm confused about this line, but I think what he says is, your ass used to be beautiful. He says, what happened to you, man? But I don't know if he says your ass or her ass. Either way, both of them are just past their prime. So I don't know if he's mad that he killed her or if he's mad that Lewis is just a fuck-up now. Um, yeah. But either way, it's a, it's a nice, quiet scene because I like that kind of um, – european style that nicholas winding ref in um loud violence and then complete silence is a very cool trick to use uh, and i think it's done really well there um i agree that's one of my another one of my favorite moments but everything with jackie brown i mean she um pam greer has such a great performance it's so um again naturalistic so real i i believe i went to a panel with her at a wizard world one time and i believe she said that she demanded to like live in the apartment while they were shooting because she wanted to get a feel like she wanted when, when she goes makes a drink she wants to know where the milk is in the fridge she wants to know where the glasses are she wants to feel like she lives there she wants to be realistic and okay. um that's really interesting she has yeah she has a lot of these great scenes if you look really closely it's one of those ones like again i'm watching it for character right so every time i watch it i'm kind of watching performances a little bit different she has a lot of subtlety in her performance a lot of times when she's scared or on the verge of tears that you might not you know in the context of the movie it might not make sense for the story, but it makes a lot of sense for the character when you start thinking about what she's thinking about beyond the frame, beyond the movie, where her right. life's going to be after this movie, what she's going to do if this doesn't work. Like the things that aren't being said, I mean, they're being said in the conversations, but you know, it's something's a little bit deeper than that. And she has a lot going on in her character. So it's really fun to watch her um, as it goes on. And all the characters, because everybody really is great in the movie, every single one of them. It's like five actors playing just past their prime in terms of mm-hmm. age tech you know not legitimately but in the way you're perceived right in the way society looks at you in terms of your career whether it's 
acting or just regular life, um, that's where they are. And yep. it's great. So really it's kind of the performances all stand out. I mean, it's all just, just really good layered stuff. That's fun. So much more fun to watch over and over again than it is even just watching it for, you know, for the first time. Oh, definitely. I was going to say, I think uh, a moment that really punctuates what you were talking about with her, like, what is her life going to be beyond this scene, this moment, you know, this sort of like world and life that she's in. Um, When she's sitting in the, the dressing room, there's that, long quiet shot of her just like she's just staring off into nothing and i feel like that's a great illustrative moment of exactly that because while she's just sitting there staring it's a very powerful moment and you can tell like there's just a million things running through her head but she's at the Mm -hmm. same time just tuned out what is this going to work what's going to happen next you know it's yeah excellent performance absolutely so good um Okay. Yeah. I think that that covers like the main things I really wanted to talk about. I'm not sure. Now we're just going to like anything else we want to talk about related to Jackie Brown or anything we haven't covered or closing thoughts on the movie. Uh, well, I, you know, like, again, obviously I'm a huge mark for, for Jackie Brown. I love it. Um, I think that's the one that's going to stand the test of time in a lot of ways, you know, Pulp Fiction will, uh, when I, when I look at his entire Au revoir. like you get Reservoir Dogs is like such a confident debut right there's something interesting about his the movie that made me want to be a director I always wanted to write and I started wanting to write movies when I was young I kind of got into the 90s indie guys like Kevin Smith and Tarantino and mm-hmm. Rodriguez and stuff and then what made me want to be a director was watching the behind the scenes of From Dust Till Dawn it looked so, like so much fun I wanted to make a movie right so if I look at those early movies from Tarantino, if I watch Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, or From Dust Till Dawn, I still really enjoy those movies, but there is something uncomfortable about the homophobia and racism of his characters. Like, I'm not going to judge his writing of it. I'm not going to judge the characters. Because um, to his point, these are shitty people, so they're going to be shitty people. And I say, right. hey, that's, that's totally fair. My issue is that they're really, really cool. So when they come across as that cool, then are their views and actions also cool? Hey, maybe that's the complexity of appreciating art, right? Now I have to make that decision as to whether or not I can find these characters redeemable. But that's an interesting thing that is not an issue in Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown doesn't have that element of out of place N words or F words or anything like that. Um, So it's easier to go back to. They're, they're, the themes are more relatable. It's not just for the pulp. It's not just for the sensation of anything. Now, there's a lot of art. I mean, again, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction especially, there's, there's, there's plenty of art there cinematically. But I think just thematically, there's a lot more going on with Jackie Brown that will stand the test of time, even among all of his other films. I think the only other ones that kind of, again, that matches the maturity would be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which already has, you know, a lot of other criticisms going on for it for a multitude of other reasons. We could talk for three hours about that. Oh movie. yeah. I'm sure we could. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we could. And I will go. I, I, I love that movie. That's right. That's right near the top of his list for me with all of its quote problematic issues, which <laughs> I think, again, it's possible to depict a character and not have an opinion on them and just let them be as they are. And I think that's something that he does do with this character's, but it is sometimes hard to enjoy some of that early stuff. 
for mm-hmm. for those reasons, right? And do I think that was just him being immature in his writing and stuff? I really do. Of course it is, but still, it is what it is. Cinema's forever. You watch a movie and it 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 works in its context, and sometimes it doesn't outside of its context. And a movie that was unappreciated because it wasn't what people wanted, I think, will go on like say maybe the thing, a completely different genre, but you know, yeah. you get kind of bashed for something like that's not what we wanted. This is bullshit. But then when you can look at it for what it is, it's like, oh, hmm, maybe we shouldn't have slept on this one. I think yep. that's where Jackie Brown's going to fall for for his movies. I think you're right, because I definitely wish I would have known about it sooner than I did. I definitely mm-hmm. saw it way later in life than I feel like most of the people I know did. And it it really is something that stands on its own. Like, despite any other movie around it from Tarantino, it just, if it was the only movie that he had come out with, it would mm-hmm. still be fantastic. It wouldn't matter if it got like huge acclaim because it's just good. The whole movie is well done, start to finish. Yeah. And you're right. It's not linked to his other movies. His other movies kind of exist in literally their own universe, right? The characters right. are intermeshed. This movie has none of those characters. And I think a lot of that it would have to go back to Elmore, Elmore Leonard, right? It has to, mm-hmm. be, has to be Tarantino being forced to adapt, being forced to draw from somebody else's story, somebody else's characters, and want to depict them and, and, and portray them correctly, the way that he read them, as opposed to the way that he made them up. Mm-hmm. So maybe somebody else's writing offered him, you know, a better canvas to tell a, a more mature story that he's maybe still not capable of telling. I'd be very interested to see what he could do given the opportunity or being asked to adapt somebody else's material now. That would be interesting to see. It would be. I feel like if he were to lean on the same sort of, I guess, energy and enthusiasm he did for Jackie Brown, anything that he would adapt that weren't his own writing potentially could be better, you know? Yeah. It could build up to be one of his best works ever. That's a really good point because the enthusiasm is a good thing. Think about this. You have the splashy debut, right? Then you have the big follow-up, the one that wins all of the awards. You're hot shit. He's the rock star director. He hosted Saturday Night Live. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, he was the biggest director of all time. You get to do whatever you want. You can make any movie you want. What do you do? You do an Elmore Leonard adaptation starring Pam Greer. That was your choice. So that enthusiasm, fuck yeah. I mean, this is the movie that he wanted to make mm-hmm. after Pulp Fiction. And everybody was like, oh, this kid's done. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was it. So was yeah, it. think think about that. Think about how much thought he would have had to put into this movie because this is the one he, on top of the world, anything you can make in the whole world, this is what he made. Mm-hmm. I think you could feel it. I think you could tell. Oh he yeah. So he was so gentle with it. Like it's his. It's such a beautiful little piece that he clearly wanted to a story he wanted to do maybe for those actors. Right? Who knows? Um, I'm cu- for, I'm kind of curious to see if that like he ever if there's a mention anywhere of if he specifically had these people in mind when he was adapting, he probably did. He, I feel like he usually does. I would imagine um, he did. Yeah. I'm curious how long he was sitting on that, like the book and then his adaptation. Like if it was something he decided to do around the time he was doing Pulp Fiction or like after he finished Pulp Fiction, or if he had always been planning to do it and now he had the juice and that's why he jumped on it. The, the story's out there. I don't remember the specifics. It's definitely on the Blu-ray um, that I think there were a couple, a couple different Elmer Leonard books that he was juggling that they were trying to get the rights to that he was trying to adapt, but he hadn't started writing yet, something like that. And then that one came free and that's what he jumped on. But um, 
yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting journey. He doesn't do a whole lot of commentaries actually on his Blu-rays. I don't think he does any on his personal movies, but he has done From Dust Till Dawn, and he has one on uh, Hot Fuzz with Edgar Wright as well. Interesting. That one's a pretty good one. But I wish he would, you know. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. It is annoying to hear him talk sometimes, but at the same time, um, you know, he has a wealth of knowledge, and I do like to, when he can tolerate him, <laughs> I, I, I like hearing him talk about things. That's fair. That's fair. I think I think that wraps up a pretty good little discussion on Jackie Brown. If we if we think of anything else, we can pop them back in as we go. Sure. Uh, that's what editing's for. Mm-hmm. But uh, now we move on to the uh, the next section here, the get to know you section, as it were, the big questions. Big questions. Mm-hmm. First question: If you can remember, what is the first movie you ever saw? whether it was in theaters, at home on, uh, on VHS, or, or projector at home, whatever, drive-in, if you can remember, what was your first movie? Man, I, I really can't remember my first movie, but some of the early ones would have to have been some Tim Burton movies because, you know, as soon as my memories start coming around, Beetlejuice, Batman, yep. even the original Frankenweenie, um, like the short film oh, like yeah. yeah it was weird like for some reason specifically i guess my dad was into tim burton or something because like i knew who tim burton was as soon as i knew what anything was like i already knew who the director was like i remember when mars attacks came out it would have been seven we were going to see the new tim burton movie so like i knew i understood that somehow at like a at a young age so, like that's those, those are some of the early things i really remember but then then a lot of things kind of start sticking out there we had hbo and cinemax when i'm a kids so like whatever was on right um right eddie, eddie eddie murphy movies last dragon i mean goonies like you know just regular whatever anybody else would have would have seen and then i guess some uh, maybe some disney stuff too but yeah i don't know I, tim burton is like the first the first memory of movies were probably the late 80s tim burton stuff fair enough next question what's your top three movies and why and if Jackie Brown is one of them, that's completely fine. It probably is. It's pretty tough. Um, it's super tough to, to kind of rank it in three. The way I kind of do it, I have like three directors and I have two different movies of theirs that I swap out in the top three more or less. So the Coen brothers, um, No Country for Old Men and Inside Lewin Davis kind of share, share a spot in the top three. And then... Um, you know, with Quentin Tarantino, it used to be Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction. But, you know, to be completely honest, nowadays, it's really more or less just Jackie Brown. I mean, I like Pulp Fiction, and I do enjoy Inglorious Bastards a whole lot. And Hateful Eight probably deserves a couple more watches. But Jackie Brown, you know, as we've just talked about, gushed about for an hour, it does kind of stand stand alone as a completely separate film amongst all yeah. his other films. So that that is up there in my, in my favorite films and all these things can be bumped out too there's whatever four five six seven eight nine and ten are are right up there in my top three as well and then uh stanley kubrick uh 2001 a space odyssey or um dr strangelove are are right there among my all-timers yep then right on the cusp um since we know jackie brown let's throw in either return of the living dead or um romero's dead trilogy night dawn and day i kind of rank Yeah. equally and together i like to talk about them within the same conversation because i think it's important to kind of do that and there that's a super 
very, very important influence on me as well is the, uh, is the Dead Trilogy and Romero. Same. Hell yeah. That's going to be one uh, I mentioned. Like at some point in, the, in my podcast, you will get to like series and uh, I'll do, I'm going to do a whole zombie horror series for sure and have like, you know, the, the people you might expect me to ask come on and we'll all do it sure. as like a, a big group of three or four of us together. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. I'd but we got to talk about those. There's oh, no yeah. way in hell we can oh. we, we get out of this without talking about those at some point. There's no me without the uh, the dead movies for sure. Zombie movies, huge influences just in general and a big part mm-hmm. of like how things evolved over time for some of us <laughs> to yeah. meet each other so and just like know? westerns uh not very many good ones it right yeah yeah there's, very there's few, great very moments few. and a lot sure, of, yeah yep. a lot of them that are just like whoa that took a turn and i am even more critical and more picky of the genre than most people so i would love to be on a zombie episode oh, so yeah. that i can be extremely critical extremely i mean because that's uh <laughs> I will special edit. series will be the ones where we get to talk shit a little bit. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. No, you keep me. I won't talk about the movie specifically, but as far as hailing, what is the best? I will be, my standards will be high. Yeah. I will, I will find I the ex- quality. I expect as much. Yes. I will find the quality in the ones that I don't enjoy. Um, I will not harp on the things that I don't like. Cause like you said, of course there are still things to enjoy about them. You know, yeah. if, if somebody made a zombie movie, they probably really like zombies. There's probably an idea in there that is good something that i can say hey I'll, I'll i'll give him that and then i'll just kind of ignore my butt uh, you right. know, <laughs> thing that follows right yes yeah. we'll just we'll just drop that and i'll try to take on a more positive attitude so that cancers don't kill us all yeah just, exactly yes yeah, so let's just all be uh, a little better to each other i might uh, i might end up doing at some point we'll just extend the recording session slightly longer so we're allowed to talk a little bit of shit and then i'll just have anything all the shit talking can be a separate a separate smaller mini talk <laughs> Yeah, maybe once a month compile some of the best shit talking and yeah. a, a highlight package. Here's all the negative things we said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just like have them back to back. That would be really funny, actually. I think I'm going to have to do that now. That'll be, we'll do that in the next one. We'll talk a little bit of shit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there ain't no shit to talk about Jackie Brown. Let's just put it that way. Though. We're, we're thinking ahead here. We're getting ahead of the game. Uh, all right, let's go to what movies are you looking forward to that aren't out yet? And I know that's tough considering the state of things. In the event that anybody listens to this in the in the future, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It is <laughs> no, November in 2020. Um, there are not release dates for films. Shooting dates have been postponed. So, um, you know, it's tough. All, all the ideas that come to mind are kind of big budget studio bullshit things. Yeah. But uh, hey, I kind of look forward to them a little bit nonetheless. Let's just be honest. Um, Hey, so, I can't argue with that. There's some big ones that I'm looking forward to that I probably shouldn't be. In, in that sense, obviously Batman, but then also both James Gunn uh, movies, Suicide Squad and uh, Guardians 3, I suppose, as well. Yep. But uh, there's, uh, what, The Green Knight from A24. There oh, is that's right. yeah. The Northman, yeah. also from A24, which is, uh, what's his face? Was it Mike Eggers or whatever who did um, yes. Lighthouse and the Witch? That's going to be, that guy's just an artist. I mean, what he's doing, whether you enjoy those movies or not, his level of authenticity and, and his production design is just second to absolutely none so like he's just like oh wow this guy's really doing some art out there that i really appreciate um 
it's ridiculous. His the 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 dialects, the way he writes the dialects for his characters. Um, yeah, he he's just you know top to bottom design. And then so I don't know what's coming next from Ari Aster. Looking forward to. I'm sure whatever comes Ari next Aster. from Ari Aster will be just just a smash. You know, Jordan I mean, Peele has one next year as well. Mm-hmm. There's some directors who have some pretty good things um, coming around the pike in the next year. Just kind of. Is it going to be on demand? Is it going to be, you know, in theaters? When are we going to be comfortable again? And how are things going to change? So there's, there's some stuff going on, but. Nice. I mean, honestly, that's half the reason for that question is so I can put some stuff back on my radar, you know, find out what I'm missing out on. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, those are some great things. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that leaves us with uh, our last question here, which is just uh, any, any other personal recommendations not currently mentioned so far? Uh, have you watched any Yorgos Lanthimos? Yorgos did uh, The Lobster. Did you see that? Oh, wait. Yes. Okay. I've seen The Lobster. Then killing, I've of seen, a, yeah. okay. killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Yeah. Dog, Dogtooth? Dogtooth I have not seen. See, it's Dogtooth. There's one called Alps, which I didn't see that. Dogtooth is pretty interesting. Yeah, he's a guy who's, uh, if you want to watch some weird stuff, anybody out there, that's a, a cool, he did the favorite, obviously, which is a lot more accessible, but also pretty great. Um, I don't, I don't know. No, I don't have a whole lot of, um, great recommendations at the moment. I was just hanging out with Sean last week and, um, he actually showed me a couple of movies that were, that were pretty good. Um, but they were older movies. One from the nineties, uh, set it off, which I had never seen the, uh, Oh shit. That um, was fun. That was yeah, a great one. Women's bank heist movie, which is fantastic. Yeah. And then, uh, Ode to my father, which is a, Korean film from 2014, kind of a decade-spanning biopic, kind of follows the separation of North and South Korea and a man, and kind of it's it's pretty heavy stuff. It's a really good movie. Um, uh, it's one to seek out if you're a fan of that kind of uh, dramatic film or foreign cinema. Yeah, I'm have to check that stuff. out. I am like I got a whole long list of uh, like foreign films and Korean films that I really need to watch. Um, Sean's given recommendations over the years and I've, I've watched most of the ones he's recommended but I'm, I'm definitely still like I think I got about six or seven that he's recommended that I still have to watch that's probably on the list yeah I bet it is mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm gonna hear it from him I got Sean on next now there you go oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well speaking of Sean uh, <laughs> me and him just shot a, um, a short film called Touchtone which will be out um, in a day or two, by the time somebody listens to this, it'll be available on YouTube, so they can check that out, actually. Hell yeah. And where on YouTube will we find that? That's a good question. I don't know whether it'll be posted either on the Lucha Style page or Ruby Red. So either look for youtube.com slash Ruby Red or youtube.com slash Lucha Style uh, to find Touchtone. Perfect. And uh, I can say having watched Touchtone already, even though I saw... A slightly unfinished version. Unfinished audio, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I really liked it, and I am excited to see where it goes once all the sound design is done, because I'm sure mm-hmm. it's going to be that much more fun. I want to. I'm gonna. I'll say something to you about it outside of the podcast, just because I don't want to ruin anything. It's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. I was watching. It, I was like, oh, this is great, but I don't want to like spoil it for anybody. Sure. Um, anyhow. Good short, definitely coming out soon on YouTube. You can check it at uh, youtube.com slash rubyred or youtube.com slash luchastyle. I will probably have a description for that link uh, once this episode goes up with 
exactly which page it should go you guys uh, should all go check out mm-hmm. but uh other than that do you have any other anything else you want to plug or uh talk about you got coming up the only other thing i'm working on uh with my buddy austin not one of the myriad austins that you know but an, yet another austin austin oh boy yeah uh we're working on a video game uh oh, nice. it's kind of a surrealist horror film slash video game that's so right. yeah sending, uh, i've been seeing your uh, your interstitials yes that's called uh pepperoni nightmares and that'll be kind of an interesting project that we're working on by the end of the year there should be like a, a pretty short demo or trailer to almost like a proof of concept to see where we're going with it and then hopefully over the next couple months we'll actually have something very small project it's just you know He's doing the coding and the actual video game part. I'm doing all the movie function. It's not, it's not strictly a choose-your-own-adventure kind of Bandersnatch situation, but it has a little bit of those elements in it. So it's a little bit of an FMV game, yeah. but it also has some straightforward um, first-person video gaming as well, more like a traditional low-poly horror game. So there's kind of going to be these transitions back from the low-poly horror video game that you play with your keyboard to the point and click kind of adventure movie style nightmares you're seeing in this weird universe should be pretty interesting and uh so it sounds super cool honestly i mean yeah. like i said i've seen some of the interstitials that you sent so far and they look pretty pretty cool i'm, I'm very excited to play it thanks so yeah i hope hopefully awesome. by the time this episode is listed we should have that trailer up so i'll be able to give you a link for that by the time this is up hell yeah and if it is, I can, uh, I'll, just, I'll just tack it on to the end here. Do my own little, little quick recording. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that's exciting. Okay, so uh, we got those couple of things. And uh, in general, I know you've been writing some, writing some projects, working on some movies. Things are uh, in development hell just because of pandemic times. But right. you got things on the rise. Yeah, so uh, everybody should definitely check out Mr. Patrick Pena, Lucha Style on pretty much all the platforms, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And uh, yeah. Thank you for stopping in to chit-chat about Jackie Brown. Yeah, no problem. Looking forward to talking about the next few with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. All right, everybody. Thanks for dropping in. This has been Scott's Movie Pod, until I think of a better name, which I never may do. So, thanks for listening. Check you next time. All right. Thank you very much for stopping by and listening to Scott's Movie Pod, until I think of a better name, which I may never do. Special thanks to my guests for coming on the show and all of you for listening. Original podcast music by Weston Lee Ball. You can find them at lava underscore submersible on Instagram and Weston Lee Ball on Facebook. And if you like the podcast, do me a favor and just rate and review. Let me know what you think. Leave a comment and uh, maybe I'll read it during the show. Thanks again and I'll catch you next time.